Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for... Well, except for nothing. Cringe culture is over. You get to like what you like, and we're not going to judge you for it. You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this show. have to do but you, you you make concessions and you pick your battles about how it's going to be presented you know i could say well obviously if i went out and read these lyrics out loud holding a piece of paper on a microphone with no music that's not going to have the kind of appeal it would have if i had this kind of drum beat and this kind of melody to back it up and i need those tricks to get you to to pay attention to it i'm fine with doing that i'll do whatever tricks are necessary in my job to share something with somebody else you drink water i drink gasoline Welcome back to Now Hear This. Hey. Yeah, we've got a special one today, Ryan. This is the first time we've ever done this on the Now Hear This podcast. That's true. We've got a guest with us. He's a dear friend, um, acquaintance. A dear boy. Uh, uh, this oh boy. Uh, former president of the United States, George W. Bush. George, how are you? <laughs> Wait no, let's hear. Let's yeah, they'll battle. Hear from I want you to battle with the voices for my amusement. <laughs> oh God! Uh, There's only one president on this show, and it's me. And it's me. Thank you. And I am still apparently very high. From the Third Men podcast, James Kaminsky. James, thank you so much for joining us today. You're, you're welcome. I guess I feel like I'm entering this party that I was, you know, sort of invited to, but um, no one really wanted to come. But uh, anyway, I... <laughs> well, we're all wearing condoms, so we all can. We're all wearing condoms, If apparently. we want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you guys so much for having me. I am a huge fan of the show. I love it. I'm prepared for Paul to riddle me with bullets, and it's an honor to be here. Oh, James. I, I didn't mean that, so... 
<laughs> Wait, you think about the honor or being here? <laughs> no, it, it really is. Thank you guys so much for having me on. And yeah, I'm super excited to be talking with you about uh, this album we got here today. Yeah, well, there's a reason, as James alluded to there, that he is on the show today. We are going to be taking this episode of Now Hear This to do something of a crossover with our show, The Third Men Podcast. Crossover. You Can you put a bunch of reverb on that? <laughs> <laughs> Just like soak that in reverb. I will. I'm going to put some of things on. Crossover. Uh, we have something of a crossover here. We are going to be doing a Jack White album, Jack White's second studio album, Lazaretto. And I must say, gentlemen, I was a little nervous about bringing this one to now hear this because I understand that the Jack is a strange and unusual man. And I was almost... Oh, boy. I think I was terrified, Ryan, of what you would think about this. But as it turns out, we've had some laughs and it sounds like some enjoyment. Yeah, well, I mean, I put this on, I think it was a day or two ago. Because we sped this one up when I realized what the name of the album meant. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my good God, we have to do this right now. (laughs) And, yeah, I was on a little bit of a run, doing a little run, doing a little bit of a run out in the the wilderness. Doing COVID-19. You got a plinkety-plonk. With the plinkety-plonkety-plink, you know, chopping broccoli. I saw somebody outside. I was listening to Jack. And so now I'm listening to this album. Like, this is amazing. Just tra- track after track after track after track. And it's over pretty quick. It's 11 songs. Yeah. I feel like sometimes he's turned in albums that are way longer than that, or at least with the White Stripes. So, yeah, I was I, I was texting you while running, probably annoying drivers because I was in the <laughs> middle of the street. But, uh, yeah, it's, re- it's very cool. And, and it closes a loop for me because we met when you guys had me on your show a couple years ago. Yeah. Yes. And so it kind of it all is coming to like McCartney's Sea Moon story. <laughs> you know, L7, man, and then I'll see the moon. And so it's. Yeah. And here's, here's the song Jet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't, is it Jet about a puppy, a horse? Depends on which year you ask him. Yeah, exactly. Do you think he ever made any other songs about shapes? Songs about like snake shapes. Uh, figure of eight. Figure of eight. Ah, figure, figure of, eight. of eight. All right. Wow. Paul actually <laughs> made my joke into a thing. Paul isolated your joke and turned it into a fact. <laughs> to be fair, joke is in quotes. <laughs> oh. Well. So this uh, this album, I, I elected to uh, subject all of us to this because this is my favorite album by Jack White. Now I have a. I think my favorite album of all time, James, as we have discussed, is The White Stripes Get Behind Me, Satan. But yes. but in terms of like a Jack White project, I feel like this is the synthesis of everything about that man. It is Jack at his most pure. There's no baking soda in these drugs here. This is, this <laughs> is pure, uncut Jack White just completely summarizes his entire outlook. Why did I think you were going for a baking analogy and not okay. drugs? <laughs> So, so we'll do, I guess we'll do a bit of background here before we go into the album. But, you know, for people who don't know, Jack White is a famous musician. He was a member of the White Stripes, which was a you know, very popular band. You've heard it at your favorite sporting event. All you jocks out there, um, Seven Nation Army was a, <laughs> all the jocks listening to our podcast. Correct as crickets. <laughs> yeah, the ones, they, they play mostly cricket. That's the podcast. Yeah. 
jock yeah. audience right there. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, the White Stripes were a big deal. You know, it was Jack and Meg. They were a quote-unquote brother-sister act, but uh, they weren't brother and sister at all. They just put a bunch of gimmicks about themselves being related and children and peppermint and red, white, and black and all this stuff. Basically, as a way of, Ryan, I think as you put it during our Brendan Benson podcast, just as a way of marketing yeah. this music, although Jack likes to say that, you know, he's hoping that you put enough gimmicks in front of something, it'll distract you from the idea that this is just a white kid singing the blues. <laughs> and the bottom line is that it's, it's entertaining. Uh, you know, no matter what you think of the music, ultimately, there's some spectacle about it. And Jack is very much a theatrical kind of guy. Yeah. And so the White Stripes were really a bare bones sound on top of this weird storybook imagery. For a good long while, they were together 10 years. Of course, we talked about Brendan Benson, as I mentioned in season one. Brendan Benson was a member of the Rack and Tours, Jack's first foray into a rock and roll group while he was famous outside of the White Stripes. Of course, he was in groups before that, other rock and roll groups. And then he had another group called the Dead Weather, and that was kind of this gothic thing, but it was a little heavier. James, as we've talked about on our show, that's more of like an acid rock, actually, psychedelic yeah acid rock kind of thing with a little like alternative kind of in there and yeah yeah with jack on drums and allison mosshart as the lead singer Presentation-wise, he presented that as much more of a gothy kind of thing. The White Stripes were the children, and the raconteurs were sort of pseudo-cowboys in a way. Well, you impressed me so completely I start obsessing to hear from you Whatever you do, you do sweetly It takes a lot to not take from you When it came time for Jack White to think about a solo career, it kind of came about by accident, largely. He had founded a record company, Third Man Records, and they had expanded to a storefront and, uh, you know, were building this boutique label empire on their own in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and, and later on a satellite location in Detroit, Michigan. And yeah, Jack White had booked Riza of Wu-Tang Clan to come in and do a single with them and he had also booked some musicians to go along with this uh namely one of them was daru jones yeah on drums and rizza being rizza failed to show up to this event 
<laughs> yeah, I never heard of any of this. That's, huh. And Jack was like, well, we have the studio booked. We've got these musicians here. Let's say we work on some music. Let's just, let's, I have some scribblings, as he calls it. <laughs> some funky scribbles. I have some devil's, devil scratching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've been working on this stuff. So would you guys like to do this song? And they ended up recording what would later become a song on the debut solo album, Blunderbuss. When I say that I mean I know every single thing that I said was true And I know that you're mad at me But if you're thinking like that I think you'll see that you're mad at you too Yeah, they created this album, Jack, as a presence in Nashville was ensconced in the scene. He brought in a lot of different musicians. And together with all of these people, he created the album Blunderbuss, which in a lot of people's minds was the continuation of the White Stripes. You know, for people who don't know, Meg White was the drummer in the White Stripes and Jack built the White Stripes around Meg. But he built the band around Meg with the idea that Meg wasn't a musician. She had a primal spirit about the way she whacked the drums. Whack away, yeah. He was so enamored with the simplicity of that, he built the band around it. So now, this is what the White Stripes, quote-unquote, would be if there were just no strings attached. Just throw the kitchen sink at it. All these musicians, and he creates this album, Blunderbuss, which is a massive commercial success. Massive yep. success. Ryan, were you aware of uh, Blunderbuss at all? I was aware of it. I didn't realize it was a huge commercial success. I mean, I remember you couldn't go anywhere 20 years ago without hearing about Jack White if you were interested in rock and roll. You know, like yeah. it was Dave Grohl, it was Jack White, back Fiona Apple, but he was just everywhere, and specifically with that band. And we were talking last time, talking about his publicity stunts yeah. or the way he markets that group. And everybody in my high school was talking about that. Yeah. Is that his sister? Is that his wife? Who is the drummer? They were on The Simpsons. They were apparently on The <laughs> yes. Simpsons. They were one of the biggest bands in the world, you know? So you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about them or seeing about them. And I've cursorily checked out all of his releases since they've come out. Because I just, I remember hearing that... I'm thinking about my doorbell when you're gonna ring it. When you're gonna ring it. Yeah, I'm thinking about my doorbell when you're gonna ring it. When you're gonna ring it. Yeah, I'm thinking about my doorbell when you're gonna ring it. When you're gonna ring it. Yeah, I've been thinking about my doorbell. Oh, well. Well, we're gonna chip for the kids. Like, I love that song. Yeah, it's great. And. I just have never done a deep dive, and I don't know why, but I have no excuse anymore. It's weird that both Jack White and Paul McCartney have two massive success songs based around doorbells. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of that either. <laughs> Yeah, Blunderbuss, huge, was uh, nominated and won a bunch of Grammys, a big chart topper. Jack's first number one album in any iteration. The White Stripes never went to number one. Oh, really? Yeah, they broke up by the time they had just kind of gotten their feet under them with Warner Brothers. Huh. And um, Icky Thump, that last album they did, which was with Warner, yeah. was their biggest. And it looked like they were going to continue that trend. And then the band broke up. And so, and then, you know, the Raconteurs, big hit singles, hit albums in the rock community, The Dead Weather, a little more niche. 
but you know there was never that big number one commercial success and that was blunderbuss so mm. jack is excited about that he's establishing what a jack white solo career looks like and now ryan we had talked a little bit before the call about the color blue now yeah the white stripes are red white and black that is their signature colors right everything about the band everything is red white and black mm-hmm. the rack and tours is gold and green and black it's more of a copper yeah copper yeah copper green and black the dead weather is all blacks and grays that's all like spider webs all gothy stuff and then third man records sort of on its own is kind of more in the yellow family mm-hmm. everybody at third man wears yellow ties and black shirts and stuff so the blunderbuss era is defined by blue mm. I did notice that. It's intentional. It's very intentional. I didn't realize how intentional it was. Yeah, he's very focused on color. He boils things down in that way. You know, he's a born marketer, that guy. He was trying to delineate this from the other things that he does. So when you see him live, everything's draped in blue. No matter what the people on the stage are wearing, it's always some variation of white, blue, or black. He's building this solo career. He launches a massive world tour around the success of Blunderbuss. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Ryan, or not, but he brought... Two bands out on tour that year in 2012. One was all female, one was all male, and he wouldn't let the band know which one was playing that night until the night of. That's some Buddy Rich control freak shit. It's insane. It's insanity. The man's insane. (laughs) So, two groups, and each didn't know the other one was playing until that night. And on top of that, he was pulling from his entire catalog, so White Stripes, Raconteurs, Dead Weather, and a smattering of random singles and stuff from the, throughout the years. And the new solo stuff. Yeah. And on top of that, he doesn't use a set list live. So he calls him. He calls him on the stage like he used to do with Meg. Again, this is very much like the White Stripes 2, Electric Boogaloo. Like you have where it was Jack and Meg on stage and he was giving Meg all the direction and telling her to kind of go where he was going and they kind of felt each other out. And if Meg wasn't feeling a song, she would just start playing another beat and he would have to adapt. Yeah. This is him doing that with a massive group of people. (laughs) Just a lot of people. (laughs) Frustrated people. Just, <laughs> just calling out song titles that don't exist <laughs> and then just staring at people. James and I have uh, interviewed now a bunch of people who are in either of those bands. And sometimes, as we heard, he would pull out songs that they didn't rehearse. Wow. So he was playing covers from like like Link Ray covers and stuff that only one of the guys knew in the rhythm section. And so they kind of had to... Wow. He likes that chaos. He thrives in that like spur of the moment. He wants the energy. He wants it to feel like a bolt of lightning. Yeah. We call it the Marty McFly syndrome where he's... <laughs> He has the whole band just following along to, uh, you know, a song that did actually come out. And they do the song that actually came out. The Buzzards and the Peacocks wound up playing Johnny Be Good every time is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's that's crazy. That's very chaos energy. Joker's in just keeping people on the edge of their seats sort of stuff. At least it sounds like that. Big Joaquin energy. (laughs) (laughs) so james and i saw that tour a few times we were there the night after he famously walked off the stage early and didn't play an encore because he felt the crowd was too calm um wow (laughs) radio Radio city music hall he also famously does not care for uh mobile devices at shows and at that time couldn't really do anything about it but now has instated this yonder pouch policy and he creates chaos to be in control that's what it sounds like He ultimately wants control. Sounds like a lot of social experiments. Yeah. 
He's very much into pushing boundaries as to what a performer can be and what a performance can be. He's trying different things that haven't been tried before for the sake of trying it and seeing if it works. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but he's happy he did it. So there's that, I guess. Um, And, uh, you know, it comes out with some interesting results. And, And the undercurrent of all of it is that he is carrying that classic rock torch. He is friends with the Stones. Very true. He's friends with Bob Dylan. He's friends with Neil Young. He's friends with all these guys that were making the kind of music. Led Zeppelin, you know, he performed on the Lazaretto tour with Robert Plant. He was in a movie with Jimmy Page called It Might Get Loud, which is wonderful. Mm. He's carrying on that tradition of rock and roll, but almost using it like a P.T. Barnum attraction, almost like a traveling show. Yeah. So anyway, that sets the stage. Okay, so he's hyped. He's on the road with these two bands, and during breaks from that tour schedule, he's in the studio with either one of those bands cutting instrumentals intended for a new record. So in 2012, when he's got a day or two off, he takes one of the two bands, brings them into the studio, and they cut an instrumental, and he does this a bunch of times. Hmm. He doesn't have any lyrics for them. It's unusual for Jack. And then when the Blunderbuss tour wrapped... He kind of sat on him for a while, for about eight months, and realized that to go back and add lyrics onto those instrumentals was going to be really difficult. Interesting. So what does he do? He decides to time travel. <laughs> Did I mention Johnny Be Good? <laughs> Yo, it's Marvin! <laughs> Marvin Barry! <laughs> you know that sound you're looking for? It's not this. It's not this. <laughs> <laughs> He finds a stack of old poems, plays, and song lyrics from when he was 19 years old in his attic. He takes them and he pillages what he felt was worth pillaging and treats it as an exercise to teach his younger self how to write a song by taking those lyrics, massaging them, and applying them to the instrumentals he recorded in 2012. Wow. And that's the album we're listening to today, Lazaretto. <laughs> wow. So this really was, it was around the Blunderbuss era, but it took a couple years for it to come out then. So it all was happening at the same time. Yeah, usually he takes a week to at most a month, but like three weeks is like typical to write, record, and release you know, an album. He, he goes through yeah. like this huge, really fast-paced environment. And so this album is very different from that kind of standpoint. That's interesting. I'd like to just also mention that, and we mentioned this on our other podcast, The Third Men, this was released in 2014. And this was the album that James and I were both, I think, at the same time, the most engaged in his career. Like this was the one that kind of solidified our fandom. We had been fans since, I don't know, 2003 or so, but right. this is the one that really excited us the most as a sort of a collective. And we saw that tour a bunch of times. And I don't know, there's something about this album that feels much more realized than his other work. I mean, and it's interesting. It's my favorite album as a Jack album, but it also contains two songs that I just can't stand and don't like at all, <laughs> um, which is weird. Yeah. Like, but I love this album so much. Hey, Paul, I just want to ask, who is the Who song that you're talking about? It's <laughs> not even it. Is it really? Oh, wow. It's not even it. I didn't know what to expect. I expected a lot of tracks with 
His style, from what I understand, it's the big guitar riff, it's blues, it's bombastic drums. He verges on, I don't want to call it rapping, but he can be very wordy in a lot of his songs. And I was expecting that right out the gate. The first half of the album is nothing I've really ever heard from him before. And we'll get into it when we get into the songs. But then by the time you get to the middle or the, the back of the album, some of these are like pop songs, vintage classic rock, Todd Rundgren-y, yeah. Ben folds pop music. And I was surprised. So I dug around a bit and he was talking about how, yeah, I just made some songs and it didn't matter what the genre was. I just made it. And I just could, I could just tell how intensive a man he was <laughs> from his interviews and some of the videos that you sent over. Especially where, where he's talking about the locked outer groove of the album <laughs> on that special version. It contains something at the end, which we don't think has been done. And it's a locked groove on the outside edge of the record that continuously plays over and over again. Uh, Sergeant Pepper, for example, is a famous locked groove on the inside of uh, side B, I think. Yeah. And uh, this has a locked groove on the outside of side uh, A. Side a. So as I drop the needle here at the outermost edge of side A, what we'll hear is the last song on side A as it ends, trail into a lock groove that will repeat infinitely. You're like, yeah, famously there's a locked inner groove, and uh, but this is the outer groove. I'm like, this is a maniac. <laughs> and I... <laughs> But I, li- I like it. I-, I like his cowboy energy. Yeah. When he calls uh, any average Myrmidon might start the needle on the outer. I had to look up what Myrmidon means. And it basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just. He is a nut, but it's all funny. It's all like a joke. Like that's that's the thing that I think sometimes people don't always get about him is like he's a good actor. He's been in like movies and things like he was in Gold Mountain and. He played Elvis and Walt Carl. He's a, you know, he knows what a camera is and how to react to it. Right. So I think sometimes he's doing it just to get a rise out of it. He's, he's kind of a troll in that way. He's very troll. And his, sure. his sense of humor is particularly dry in that he doesn't even show that it's a joke uh, yeah. half the time. And so it to the non-fan, most of what he says seems... Insane. <laughs> batshit insane. Yeah. No, it's bad. <laughs> Uh, and then on top of that, it seems over the top, like twee almost, or like, uh, you know, hipstery. Like, he's not nearly as hipster as people want to make him out to be. I hate that word, but he's like, he's very much doing things for art, but he's he doesn't really care so much about doing it. I guess he does care a little about doing it before everybody else. Maybe he is a hipster. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I can relate to Jack White on a personal level because I find him to also be aggressively interested in things. He's aggressive in many ways, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Why don't we head over to the bullet corner, folks? Yes. Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. All right. Uh, James, do you want to tell the people what the Paul's Bullet Corner is? <laughs> this is the segment of the show when Paul comes up with a string of words that seems like poetry to Paul and is, in fact, poetry to no one. 
right. no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a. Uh, it's it encapsulates the album's feeling, intensity, <laughs> animosity. All right, I've got, I've got three bullets for this one. My first bullet: <clears throat> if rock and roll were a person, this would be its cool uncle. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling mighty avuncular. As in, I want to, <laughs> want to fuck the uncle. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's what a fuck Shut your means. fucking face, uncle fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Insert sound clip. Um, I'll give you two pesos. Bullet two. As if Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson convinced you to marry your parents. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that one, but I like it. Did I mention Johnny Be Good? <laughs> uh, and then the last bullet here is just the text I sent you, Ryan, after you finished listening to this for, for the first time, which is, Welcome to Wonka Land, motherfucker. Every visitor is shredded to pieces and fed to peacocks. <laughs> I can't think of a better description of how I feel. <laughs> well, why don't we start off with track one of the album, Three Women. Three Women. said she loves her daddy but only when she's got bills to pay <laughs> i stopped running and just started laughing in the street when i got to that line <laughs> and i have never i'd never thought that he would lead with a song that's so cocky i i understand i did actually do a little digging that this is there's a guy named blind willie mctell yeah. i guess and that's one of his is that one of his big influences, maybe? Yeah. And he, and he has a song called Three Women Blues, because I was like, I only remember Meg, you know? Yeah. I, I didn't know there was a blonde and a brunette, and then I dug into it, and they, he did have those girlfriends, too. So, I don't know. I, I actually love this song, especially when he goes into the whole lordy, 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 lord part. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's really it's fun. It's bold. It's a very bold strategy. Very Jack. bold, yeah. Credits on this one, bass by Dominic Davis, drums by Daru Jones, Corey Younce from the Old Crow Medicine Show on Mandolin. We have harmonica and backing vocals from Corey as well. Ike Owens on keys, Fats Kaplan on pedal steel, and Jack on vocals. So this is a buzzards track we mentioned in talking about the male band and the female band. Yeah. The male band is the buzzards. The female band is the peacocks. This is the buzzards cool. doing three women here, I guess, at once. Yeah. Whoa, and uh, <laughs> buzzards stewing three women. I don't know how familiar you are with the musicians on this track, Ryan, but it has uh, the Mars Voltas, Ike Owens, Fats Kaplan. Yeah, friend of the show, Fats Kaplan yeah. is on pedal steel on this song. And you mentioned twiddling your mustache. I did. That man has the most twiddleable mustache <laughs> uh, in in all of musicdom. He yeah. looks like the colonel. He is great. 
I love this band so much. He plays the theremin. It's the best. Wow. Yeah, Ryan, that was on one of those videos I sent along Fats Kaplan on the theremin doing his weird... Oh, yeah, I did see him. Maybe that's why I said that mustache thing. Yeah. (laughs) I thought I was just creative. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out Get back in the box, Ryan. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) So much of this song was recorded live in the studio, but Corey Yount's harmonica solo and Jack White's vocals were overdubbed later. So this is one of the ones that they did earlier on and then added some stuff later on. Old Crow Medicine Show mandolin player Corey Yount was loaned out to Jack's backup band, The Buzzards, on the uh, 2012 Blunderbuss tour, and he did return the following year contributing harmonica, synthesizer, mandolin, piano, shaker, and backing vocals to Lazaretto. So Corey, as The Buzzards go, was sort of in and out. He wasn't quite always a part of it, but he brings an interesting stage energy for sure, and he's a very good player. Yeah, he was Yountsen in and out. I texted you this last night when I was almost blackout drunk on Mezcal. <laughs> I was listening I was listening to the album again and I was like, Three women. Where have I seen this before? And then I started Googling around and I realized it was from the The Witches of Eastwick. Oh. The Jack Nicholson movie. Build up our immune systems. <laughs> exercise yes and uh i'm not doing any bad jet i'm not doing any bad nicholson today (laughs) 20 push-ups a day and you never have to be afflicted with women ever again (laughs) there is a weird connection i made where some of jack white songs almost read like they could be monologues yeah and then i realized that in the witches of eastwick there's all these really great jack nicholson monologues that actually read like they could be white stripe songs (laughs) (laughs) i'll read one from the witches of eastwick Uh, just a couple sentences it says i ask you something you're all church going folk i really want to ask you something do you think god knew what he was doing when he created woman huh no shit i really want to know i was like hey Put, put a fucking blues guitar, slide guitar, and some beats on that and sing it. Like, that could be... I can hear the synapses in your brain melting as you figure this out. <laughs> Just... Yeah. Well, I was also, uh, to repeat, I was almost blackout drunk on Mezcal. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a genius. I uh, no, uh, Actually, I'm just a, an idiot. <laughs> I mean... I could definitely see you want to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight as a song title on. Oh uh, yeah, on this that'd be sure. good. James, you're an A one nut boy, and Grissom <laughs> knows it. <laughs> it's time for who do you trust? Hubba hubba hubba! Money, money, money! Who do you trust? It's that chaos energy, that cowboy energy. Maybe is my point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So as you mentioned, this song was. Uh, co-authored or given a co-author credit rather to blind willie mactell this is via song facts the song is a cheeky refashioning of blind willie mactell's 1928 three women blues white explained to uncut magazine why he recorded his own version quote a friend of mine had heard three women blues at a party and i thought it would be an interesting song (laughs) at a party what the fuck party was one of our parties you know this Three women, yellow, brown, and black. 
I had covered Blind Willie McTell songs in the past and I came up with that first line, I've got three women, red blonde and brunette, just as a starting point for myself. I thought, I'm going to do a completely modern version of this song. It doesn't really have much to do with Blind Willie McTell's song at all beyond that first line. I also think his song is a lesson in how it's all false to begin with, how you shouldn't believe these are all real events for the songwriter or the person singing, he continued. It's like when Elvis was singing his songs. He didn't write the songs, so they're not about him. That's one thing people really get wrong about all the old blues musicians, that every song they were singing was from the heart and about their own specific problems. I highly doubt that Blind Willie McTell had three girlfriends at the same time. It's hard to pull off for anyone, especially someone who's blind. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Jack told Rolling Stone and McTell, uh, Blind Willie McTell comes off to me more as nerdish, by himself, very interested in the intricacies of how things work and the knowledge of things around him. He can navigate himself around New York City by himself no problem. When you hear him speak to Alan Lomax, you can really see the depth of his intelligence, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He gets asked about racial questions, and he's very careful in how he words it, but he gets across his point very well in a defiant way, in my opinion, which is beautiful. Blind Willie McTell is a very layered person, you know. And now we hear a little snippet of Blind Willie McTell talking to Alan Lomax off of the album Distill, the second White Stripes yeah. album. You keep moving around like you're uh, uncomfortable. What's the matter, Willie? Well, I was in an automobile accident last night. Still shook up. No one got hurt, but it was all uh, jostled up mighty bad. Shake up. Still so from it, but no one got hurt. You know, it's an interesting song to start with because it does have that bravado and it does involve women. Uh, you know, Jack at the time was under fire for people interpreting lyrics from the Blunderbuss album. And what Jack was responding with throughout all of that was that, well, these are characters. These are not me. I'm not singing about me. I'm singing about a character in a situation. Yeah. And so it, it is, I don't know if it's, again, that trollish streak in him to start the album on what I think he's talking about here, which is either girlfriends or prostitutes, or one of the two, but it's certainly like a song that's very kind of macho. You know? Definitely. To be fair, he does name check himself in the song. Yes. That is true. He took a digital photograph to pick which one he liked. Yeah, that I was like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I'm like, this, so this is the ride I'm about to go on. <laughs> he said of that, I write what I write, and some people might think one thing or the other about something else, he says. I know it's not about me, so I get a little bit upset that I have to waste so much time clearing that up with the listener or the press or whatever. It feels a little bit like this conversation from the 1960s when people like Dylan broke those barriers down. I shouldn't be having this conversation now. Uh, you know, I get it. He's coming at it from a different place. It's easy to interpret it as him talking about himself, though, I think. At the very least, it's fair to say. I would agree. Also, the lyrics kind of reflect a lot of his personal, you know, story. Well, yeah, like, the red blonde, the, you know, Karen was a redhead. California and Detroit and right. Nashville. Right. Karen, Meg, and Renee. Yeah, Renee. Those, yeah. Those, those three. <laughs> Which I assume uh, is the California one, I'm assuming. 
So I love the intro. I love the little, uh, the keys bit and the hi-hat accents, uh, some lovely little turns. Honestly, a really great vocal of his. I think the starts and stops are a little jarring for me. I don't quite like the dead air he's giving some of these moments, but they're okay. In my opinion, Darwin's drumming is the thing that kind of holds the whole thing together. The drumming is fantastic. Yeah. There's not really a bad note of music on the whole record. Everything's played really well. Maybe that was Jack's intent to have the chaos band. They never knew what they were going to do or yeah. who knows. I, I don't know. I don't you can't get in the guy's head. You can only just look at the evidence and make assumptions. Yeah. And connections. And his signature squealing guitar solos on this whole record are played very meticulously, almost in a George Harrison kind of way in that they seem pre-programmed almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, more so than other albums, I should say. It's not completely that. It's, there's still an air of spontaneity, but it yeah. it feels rehearsed in a way. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool ending, Coda. Uh, this is one I got into more this listen. When I first heard this one, I didn't really like it too much. I didn't think it was anything particularly special, especially compared to the next track we're about to get into here, which is the title track, Lazaretto. Yes. I dig ditches like the best of them, too. <laughs> Yo, trabajadero. Como en madero y eso. Yeah. I mean, what the hell is he saying? Making models out of people I know out of coffee and cotton? I can't diagram that one. I can't figure it out. Maybe you guys know. If I recall, it's people who were locked in actual lazarettos made like dioramas of things. Am I wrong in hmm. saying that, Paul, or am I misremembering? I'll skip ahead here to a quote I was going to bring up from The Guardian. Jack told The Guardian, what was funny is I had the lyric making models of people I used to know at a coffee and cotton. And to me, that was revolving around maybe two or three meanings. I was drinking so much coffee and I'm resting on these cotton sheets and pillows and I'm smothering my face in cotton all day long. But at the same time, I'm also taking coffee grounds and creating little sculptures out of them. These are the few materials that I have in the room together that, if you just give me a couple of slivers of wood and metal shavings, I will be forced to create something in this room under this condition. But someone sent me this beautiful thing that someone had found in an interview that one of the West Memphis Three, those people that got put into jail unjustly, in jail, he was making drawings with Q-tips and coffee grounds. I couldn't believe it. You'd say, oh, that's where you got that idea. Well, I'm not arguing with you now. I had never heard of that, but that's an unbelievable coincidence. I couldn't believe that. That's one of the biggest coincidences I've ever had in my life. I like that lyric even more now. Paul, does this come before or after the coincidence talk that we had in our last episode? This comes shortly after that coincidence talk. Okay. <laughs> so the magic has already gone from his eyes of coincidences, but now it's back. And I love it. So he's just talking about the fact that he's perpetually surrounded by some iteration of coffee or cotton. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> it's much less magical than I wanted it to be. <laughs> <laughs> so this one uh, has a uh, bass by Dominic Davis, drums by Dara Jones, Corey Yance on Korg synth, 
Fats Kaplan on fiddle, Ike Owens on moog synth, and Jack on vocals and guitar. And so this was a Buzzards track. And the album's first single released on April 19th, Jack told NPR about the braggadocio nature of the lyric. This was a rhyme about, you know, uh, the braggadocio of sort of some hip-hop uh, lyrics, that the, the bragging about oneself in hip-hop music. Uh-huh. I thought about the character who's singing this song is bragging about himself, but he's actually bragging about real things he's actually accomplished and real things that he actually does, not imaginary uh-huh. things or, or things he would like to do. Um, because sometimes you see people who you know who they sing from the heart nowadays or something they, they oh they're, they're singing from the heart they're talking about themselves or their whatever but they haven't done anything you know and their <laughs> lives are not very interesting or whatever so this character in this song actually has uh, worked very hard in his life and he's done <laughs> some interesting things so in order to say you can't say a lyric like I work hard you know I mean, right. they can't, can't get away with saying that so I had to change it to Spanish so your trouble Hodoro say I worked hard and, and li- I work hard like in wood and plaster you know and uh, in the, this is a triple meaning of either that, that wood and plaster are hard surfaces and that that it's hard, as if a painter who works in oils it's sort of bad Spanish because you wouldn't say como for that word like as in as in the phrase as in uh-huh. like I, I as in I work in oils or I work in watercolors. He, he works hard, as in wood and plaster. You know, so. Ariel, uh, my wife, really does not care for that line only because it's so bad. Like, the Spanish is so bad. And she's just like, you work hard like wood? What does that mean? <laughs> the wood's working hard? What? yeah. What's going on? Yeah. We talk about sometimes in this show the coolest thing you've ever heard. This was that for me. When I heard this come on for the first time, I was stunned. I was absolutely shocked by how much I enjoyed this. Those solos in this song, like uh, Jack White fans say the words face-melting a lot. Yeah. The solos in this song are face-melting, especially live, but like it's the echelon of cool that I want a Jack White solo project to be. I could listen to this song for day. Like it's a it's a good song to put on a jukebox because it can get everybody kind of like bobbing their head a little bit. I don't know. It's It's a really good... Uh, solid title track. Yes. Agreed. So this quote here is really the money shot. Like, it's the best thing I found in any of the research about Lazaretto. Paul, spray that money shot all over our faces. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jack told The Guardian of this track, he admits the title track of the album captures something of his life right now. A Lazaretto is a medical quarantine, traditionally occupied by contagious sea dogs returning from voyage. White is so busy these days that the idea of such a place has become almost exotic. Quote, I fantasize about living in a one-room apartment and being in a work camp somewhere. What? Where there's absolutely nothing around me but a cot and a teapot and a sink. When was the last time White sat around and did nothing? Maybe when I was a teenager, he decides. <laughs> When I was 21, I already had my own upholstery shop. I had a mortgage. I had a house. So I was 18 or 19 the last time I woke up and I was like, I guess I'll play chess today. (laughs) I'm still coping with the impression of Jack. I'm still processing. I didn't know this was a thing. Like, I didn't realize it went this deep. (laughs) It's not good. It doesn't sound like him. But it definitely captures his essence. So he fantasized about being in quarantine. And you know what he's doing is he's making models out of cotton now. I mean, we talk about it in our episodes, Paul, but, you know, he is upholstering now. Yeah. uh, During this quarantine stage, he's 
He's in a work camp. He's <laughs> he's he's put himself in a work it. camp. <laughs> wow. Uh, so this was nominated for uh, best rock song and best rock performance at the Grammys. I actually love the rap cadence to the lyrics, even though it doesn't really scan a hundred percent like rap. It is, I think, like ultimately when you yeah. break it down. But it, he does it with such a confidence that I I buy it. I buy it too, right? It's much more confidence than you get at a Boarding House Reach, his, his follow-up album. Yes, and there's a lot of Boarding House Reach, like, you know, pre, pre-cum on this thing. Like, there's, <laughs> this is, the, this is lubing it up for the next wow. one. So this is the one that kind of still holds it together, you know? But again, the genre thing comes in here. Like, what even genre is this song? There's like fiddle and there's screeching electric guitar and this yeah. fuzz bass and the rap. And it's like, so it's like this rock country rap, hip hop, funk thing kind of all intertwined. Did you happen to see the video for it? Yes. It's a weird one. It's it's yep. similarly braggadocious, I guess. Yeah, the whole album has a bit of that. I mean, it gets a little sadder towards the end, but there's a confidence to him and this record. Yeah. Fats Kaplan played the fiddle solo and and we heard a little bit when we interviewed Fats about how it was off the cuff and then Jack told him to repeat it. He told him to, to he did the ad lib solo and then Jack's like, that's great. Now do it again. And Fats is like, I, I, I don't think I can. And Jack's like, no, 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 just, just try and do it again. And so when you hear the solo, it's two fiddles layered on top of each other, played by the same person. And one of them is trying to remember what the other one did in real time. <laughs> Sounds like Jack White. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why it sounds like a duel a little, because it's like, what did I even play? wasn't a huge single but it it did okay it peaked at number 25 on um, the billboard rock uh, chart rock airplay at number nine adult alternative at number 20 the regular alternative chart at nine the canadian hot 100 at 98 and the heat seekers chart at 19 so it did okay this one was a really big song for me i really like this one it's a great song yeah followed by track three temporary ground Slowly sideways, rest the temporary creatures spending all of their days waiting for the floor to buckle down below their belts, crashing into yet another drifting continental shelf. Well, I didn't really understand the lyrics when I was listening to it. So I I looked him up and then I dug into it and I realized he read about these Queen Victoria lily pads that could support up to 100 pounds. And so he had this vision in his head of this looking glass, yeah. Alice in Wonderland sort of idea. And then when I reread the lyrics and listened to it, I was like, oh, that completely changes the whole thing for me. It's very cool. I really like the piano playing oh, it's beautiful. throughout the record too. Yeah. 
the arpeggios and just where it's placed in the mix. Yeah, there's a piano record quality to this album, actually, When upon re-listening to it. Yeah. The lyrics always rang to me more philosophical, as in, like, everything's changing and nothing is ever... Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. ...constant and, you know, everything will be destroyed one day and... In, <laughs> everything in, will. Yeah, so uh, this was a song I, I kind of always resonated with on a philosophical standpoint of just like, oh, yeah, everything's temporary, nothing lasts forever, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you get those really haunting vocal kind of stings from Lily May, mm-hmm. which me and Paul talk about ad nauseum. Yeah. Uh, but it reaches these peaks and valleys in places you wouldn't expect. Right. I like the line, the old explorers had it easy. They discovered nothing new. Yeah. That whole verse is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, the lyric on this one's great. The musicianship, Lily May, oh, she really brings it. Lily May Rishi uh, Ryan is a Nashville session musician, but also yeah. a singer-songwriter in her own right. She wound up releasing two albums on Third Man Records. She's a friend of the show. She's appeared on the Third Man podcast, and you know we've seen her and had the opportunity to talk with her a few times. She really raises this thing into a different place. Jack told NPR, that's Lily May Rishi who just about exemplifies freedom to me in every way possible. The first lyric is on a floating lily island. Again, sort of an accidental coincidence. I had read in National Geographic about these Queen Victoria lily pads, and he follows up on saying kind of what you did there. And then he says that I did this one with the whole band, and then we asked her if she would sing on it later on, after I had put the vocals down. Just really, for some reason, exemplifies freedom in all ways to me. She grew up in a band. She was on stage when she was three years old and traveling with her family band, playing music on different stages and fairs and folk festivals and things like that, and she still sort of lives that way. It just seems like she breathes music all day long, and that seems like total freedom to me. She was very inspiring for me to do that. So this is a Peacock song. This is based by Catherine Popper, Carla Azar on drums, Lily May, as we talked about on Phil and backing vocals, and uh, Maggie Bjorklund on pedal steel, Brooke Wagner on piano, and Jack on vocals and acoustic guitar. So, you know, again, a, a beautiful song, one of his finest constructions. There's there's that little hop-skit twinkle thing he does, like the little... Like, he has that yeah. kind of circusy yeah. thing in places, and it uh, it permeates. And I think it's honestly the most McCartney-sounding song on the record. Yeah, it's definitely up there. You're right about that. That brings us to track four... Would you fight for my love? The last person in the room she loved was the person that she loved the most. Nobody noticed I was down on the rug. I'm getting better at becoming a ghost. about it it's fine not one i love though ultimately interesting i disagree why is that why do you disagree oh i i disagree that paul doesn't like no i i (laughs) i um (laughs) it seems like a song jack would write even in the white stripes right it fits all the right boxes i don't know it's got a good hook it's got a good chorus i think what paul gets hung up on is the fact that he wants people to sing along to it and i don't know i don't 
I well, it just sounds like Spinal Tap to me. At the end of the day, it sounds like what arena rock is supposed to sound like, and I just I find it to right. be too melodramatic. There are things I like about it, but I just find it to be a little too teenagery. It has those like um, I, I, the lyrics in this I do really enjoy the uh, yeah maybe. I was a very emotional teenager, let's well, say. So maybe I'm <laughs> I'm more hooked onto it than than others. But the I'm afraid of water, but I'm not afraid of standing out in the rain kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess it's very sad. I love the line. I'm getting better at becoming a ghost. It's a good one. My point on this, I mean, there were uh, this is not a highlight by any means. I didn't have an allergy to it. I just wanted to know who the hell is it about? Like, what is that lyric about? See, this one I think read to me the most like it was one of the instrumentals they put teenage lyrics on. Because right, that seems right. Right. Yeah. Right. I forgot about that. You could see him plucking something from a 19-year-old notebook on and and that would lead you to and obviously there's lines that are beautiful on here like people do their best to not let passion begin instead before it has a chance to start there's some really nice stuff on here sure well maybe that's where those white stripes qualities that i'm seeing kind of kick in is because he's talking to white stripes jack even the title of the track seems like something he would have on a get behind me satan yeah. thing it's you know would you fight for my love like I, I you say that you love me but would you fight for it like yeah i guess what you're saying is also true it's juvenile in a way but i think it's done from a mature standpoint sure um i could see that or at least a poetic one in a uh, elliot smith sort of way a lot of elliot smith overtones on this i think my favorite part about it is the video i really like that music video it gives you the jack elvis hair and stuff yes yeah because it was a single, it was the third single, which I found a bit surprising because there are, are other songs I would, would have picked. Yeah, he played it on Ellen and it sounded good live. So this one, ironically, has the most people on it of the whole record. So they, this is the kitchen sink. So everyone's on this. Well, that's the lesson. Don't do that. <laughs> so we have... So basically, they used the two bands, as we talked about, the Buzzards and the Peacocks for the recording of Lazaretto. So this song features both playing simultaneously in separate rooms at Third Man Studios. Three major edits were made using Pro Tools with takes of the two different bands playing at three different times. White explained to Sight and Sound, we edited the tape to punch the male band over the female band in the chorus with all eight tracks, and it was a very dangerous move, but it turned out amazing. So you have 
Burn Davies on bass. You have Electric Bass by Dominic Davis. You have Daru on drums. You have Carla Azar on timpani. You have Olivia Jean on African drums. You have Fiddle by Fats Kaplan. Backing vocals by Rubia Manfu. Dean Fertitta Ooh, hey. is on electric guitar. Ike Owens on organ and electric Rhodes piano. Corey Younce also on piano. Brooke Wagner also on a third piano. Organ and Moog synth and Jack on vocals. So there's a lot of fucking people on this thing. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I don't know if you know this. Dominic Davis is Jack's childhood best friend. No, I didn't know that. He's been on the first solo record and this solo record and was in the two touring bands for those and the Boarding House Reach tour as well. But, you know, he's been around Jack well before he even wrote the childhood lyrics he might be pulling from for these. So it's possible he was like hearing Jack recite this poetry. (laughs) (laughs) It's very possible. The music video, again, is great. Directed by Robert Hales, who also did Miley Cyrus's Can't Be Tamed and Avril Lavigne's Here's to Never Growing Up. The video, according to Jack, was conceptualized, produced, and shot within a 24-hour period. The visual was filmed during a six-hour shoot at the Cruise Room at the Oxford Hotel in Denver, and it stars musician, photographer Scott Parr Phillips, as well as several members of Jack's uh, band. So they're all kind of ghosts. And in fact, watching all this Shining stuff recently, like I've been doing, yeah. was very cool watching this music video because they're all kind of ghosts. And he's talking to the bartender, you know? Yes. Good man. You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. Can we have more Jack Nicholson, please? Bad Nicholson's back. <laughs> Actually, that was kind of good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was, that was yeah, good. I like that. <laughs> Lloyd, you're the best goddamn bartender from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon. (laughs) Jeevesy old pal, I hate to disagree with you, but I think you murdered your family and chopped them into little bits. (laughs) You were the caretaker here, (laughs) old Jeevesy. (laughs) Calls him Jeevesy a few times. It's really good. So that moves us uh, to the end of side one. Highball Stepper. Uh, This is an instrumental. I I love it. This was our first taste of the album when it debuted in April that year. Like a fiddle. <laughs> Reminds me of the White Stripes. I understand why he didn't write lyrics to this one because it works. I would have shaved a minute off of it because the song after it. Woo! Yeah, you could have. But it's good. It's it's good stuff. I didn't. I I never once wanted to turn it off. Yeah. I know a lot of people were averse to the high pitched. Yeah. Yeah. Which can get a little grating. The story of that is that it was a, a thing on the tape playback or something, and it was artificial, and Jack asked the singers to repeat it, right, Paul? Yeah, something like it was like Lily Mae tuning her fiddle. Right. And then he asked them, the singers, to emulate the sound of her tuning her fiddle. Yeah. Interesting. This is a Peacock's track. So this is the ladies, Catherine Popper on bass, Ruby Manfu. On backing vocals and tambourine, Carla, Lily Mae, Maggie Bjorklund, Brooke Wagner, and Jack. 
Uh, a rare instrumental from him, but honestly, knowing the background of how this album came about, it's not surprising he left the lyrics off of one of them. This was, uh, we had a day off in, in touring and I wanted to get some stuff on tape and this was an idea I just had had uh, before we started playing in the studio and, and I gave this steel guitar player Maggie Bjorklund, uh, these are all the girls playing on this track, and I gave her a backwards pedal that takes whatever you put into it and, and plays it backwards. Uh-huh. I thought, well, what happens if you play steel guitar into a backwards pedal like that and see what happens? And she was messing around with it. And by the time she had done that, um, uh, Lily May was tuning up her fiddle. Lily she fiddle, yeah. yeah, she played the fiddle. And uh, she made some sound effect while she was tuning up. And it sounded something like, you know, that, that thing you're hearing. Oh. At, <laughs> and uh, I thought, hold on a second, come here. And I played the guitar, and I was playing that, and I kept thinking of that little phrase. So I asked her to, and, and Ruby, the, the vocalist, to, to make that sound effect together uh, nice. while, we're, while we're playing this song. And um, it, so it became something very grandiose. So yeah, it was both. It was the Lily Mae tuning and Maggie Bjorklund messing around with this backwards whatever. Okay. I think, again, Boarding House Reach is showing here this is what Respect Commander is son of Highball Stepper, I think, in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, and Highball Stepper is grandson of Aluminum. Right, yes, uh, from uh, uh, White Wet Blood Cells. Wet Blood Cells, yeah. Yeah, and the fuzz guitar is the highlight to me. When Just when you think the song is ending, it ends like four or five times, and then suddenly it fades, and then you're like... Very cool. Uh, and then we have a locked groove, uh, and that's just the highball stepper, uh, the ending bit of highball stepper. And it plays infinitely. That's a very creative idea. I like that. I wish more people did that. I like it too. And then Just One Drink comes on, opening of side B. Baby. I try not to date anything that we're doing, but yeah, we're in quarantine right now, as we've discussed. And uh, I, I mean, I've been very creative and I've been productive, but I drink basically every day <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, a lot every day. And so just the whole vibe and the energy of the track, <laughs> you drink water, I drink gasoline, <laughs> one of us is happy, one of us is mean. <laughs> Yeah, I can relate to that uh, big time because I'm mad right now. But yeah, yeah, I just loved the and also the little reference to drinking wine, Spodiote, because that's one of the first records that Atlantic Records put out. I believe the guy's name was Sticks McGee. Yeah. So tell us this story, because I you told me this the other night. It blew my mind. I always thought that that was a reference to Outcast because the spelling of it is consistent with an Outcast song. But what you're saying actually makes way more sense. So I would I would love to hear this. Yeah, there was a record, Sticks McGee Drinking Wine Spodiote, where back in the time in the 30s and the 40s, there were a lot of musicians. A lot of them were, you know, African-American, black musicians. And they all more or less traded their songs because they were blues songs. It was all turning into R&B and rock and roll. And everybody's covering everybody else's thing. And this specific version of this song, I guess it lost its distribution. And I'm an Erdogan of Atlantic. 
they were founding their record label. And this is one of the first things that they put out that was a hit. It was a cash cow for them, from what I understand. Amazing. And I remember when I started at Atlantic 12, 13, however many years, 2008, we put out a, a compilation called the Atlantic Records Time Capsule because I was obsessed with all the old stuff. I was, you know, this 21, 22, 23-year-old kid helping them compile all the information and the and editing the lyric sheets and the and the liner notes and the that's the only reason I know this song so I brought that to you just assuming everybody knew it and you didn't know that and I was surprised to be adding input into the Jack White camp of <laughs> yeah I didn't know that at all shocked the hell out of me James did I, you know that I am flabbergasted no Paul your guess was as good as mine I did not because like I went with you on the outcast thing I was like yeah it makes sense Whatever, Jack's influenced by rap stuff. I don't know. Right, it does make, that makes sense too, but I got, that wasn't from me, that was from something else. Or I Googled it, and the spelling that was used in the lyrics was the outcast spelling, but... Do we blame song facts? (laughs) (laughs) Wine Spodiote is apparently a drink of all of the leftover remnants of wine from all of the bottles at the end of a recording session, mixed together. Uh. Sounds delicious. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so polishing off empties, basically. Yeah, yeah. Basically, according to modern drunkard, basically any <laughs> any drink made from the combination of throwing all your wine together in one container, um, oh, all I the near empty that. bottles. Anyway, sorry. I just thought that was very interesting, and it's mentioned in a Sun Records uh, documentary, The Legacy of Sun Records. Well, I love that, James. That's uh, amazing. So I I love this one. This is another Peacocks tune. So this is the ladies. It consists of two different intros, though. It has an acoustic intro and an electric intro. And depending on where you drop the needle on your Ultra LP, which I happen to have here right now, one of those intros will play. This is probably one of my favorite parts of what we did here with the Ultra LP. The first song on side two has two different intros. It has an acoustic intro or an electric intro. And wherever you drop the needle, those side-by-side grooves, you're gonna hear either the acoustic or the electric version of the song. This is the electric intro of the song. And we should be able to pick the needle up and just drop it and hear the acoustic version. We get lucky. There we go. Here's the acoustic version. Now, both of those intros, acoustic and electric, all come together in the middle of the song and become one groove for the remainder of the song. This is something that's never been done before. It drops more often on the alternative one, yeah. It's a great song. I love Ruby's contributing vocals to it. Ruby Amanfu, wonderful harmony singer. We get that little 60s swing in the middle there with the piano. Yes. You know, that doom, doom, doom. It's a great doom, song. Doom, doom. It's just fun. Yeah. I've been listening to this one with new ears, knowing that you liked it, Ryan, and, and actually have been enjoying it a lot more. Not that I didn't before, but I've been especially enjoying it on this current listen. Yeah, it's like when you see a movie in the theater, which we can't do now, <laughs> and people are all laughing at the jokes and it makes the jokes funnier, but maybe you bring it home and you're watching it and you're like, ah, this isn't as funny as I remember it being. Right. It's that social proof, you'd call it, the the herd mentality. Mm-hmm. This was also a single released in August 2014 and, uh, you know, it did fairly well. Alternative chart, 17, rock digital song sales, 16, hot rock songs, 29. It's not lighting the world on fire, but it did okay. That brings us to the second song on side B, Alone in My Home. Now, I love this one. Great song.
spiritual successor in a lot of ways to temporary ground i find this and temporary ground to be very akin yeah you had said that was the most mccartney record right yeah mm-hmm. i think this one it would be either that or number two depending upon maybe that's something for people to write in and decide which one sounds more like a mccartney song yeah <laughs> i mean we do know jack is a huge mccartney fan oh, i didn't know that <laughs> it's so funny but between him and brendan you'd think he would be the lennon of those two, but no. Yeah, I assumed he liked John more. He's the McCartney guy. He loves the craft side of it. I'm becoming a ghost so nobody can know me. Another great ghost lyric on this album. Yes, that's a common thing in Jack's music. This one's kind of interesting because it's the guys, but it's a weird kind of mix. It's not only the yeah. guys. And Ben Blackwell plays the drums, a friend of the show. Ben Blackwell, co-founder of Third Man Records. We also get Timber Kierpke on harp, and she pops up quite a bit on this, as well as Lily May uh, contributing backing vocals. And once again, Lily May comes back and just elevates the shit out of the thing. I like the jaunty piano on this. Yes. Which is Ike, yeah? Ike Owens on piano, yep. Yeah. He really elevates that to another level, and it's fun. It's a bouncy track. Yeah. So uh, Mindy Watts recorded this one. That's not a name I see too often, but she's done some stuff with Third Man on other projects. Uh, she did work on Olivia Jean's stuff, Michael Kiwanuka's Blue Room single, and she also worked with Insane Clown Posse and Polly Punkneck a bunch. Wow. Funnily enough, she <laughs> was a former intern, James, of Blackbird Studio. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Where we talked to uh, Joe Ciccarelli about that. Yeah, Blackbird Studio, famous for having recorded Icky Thump and Consolers of the Lonely, the Raconteurs album and White Stripes album, respectively. So Timber Kierpke, the harpist, that was kind of an interesting find. She doesn't really do much. She's like a church harp player that I guess Jack found, but she also played on James Brooke Wagner's solo album, Originator, in 2013. Did you know Brooke Wagner made a solo album? I did not, but I guess, did they meet on this? No, that because you said 2013. Well, wait, this was... They recorded from 2012 to 2014. The the timeline's fuzzy. I'm going to go ahead and kick it to Originator on Brooke Wagner's solo album. Gonna find ways to make it happen. Uh, There is a demo of this song that was released on the Vault 7-inch that was recorded when the Blunderbuss Band was on tour in Mexico. Jack tells the Tennessean, like that song, it has nothing to do with me. But the notion of being alone in my home is very, very hard for me because I grew up with nine brothers and sisters. I grew up with madness all around me all the time. So whenever I'm by myself in a hotel room in Japan, it's very hard for me. But there are scenarios in my life where I create family when I can and I try to encourage family all around. And there are times where I have to be by myself. I probably could have had a hip-hop style entourage of 40 people coming with me to the club Mm -hmm. or whatever, but I don't do that. And I think sometimes maybe I should. It just makes things easier if you don't like being by yourself, but maybe just don't do it ever. I haven't learned that lesson yet. That was the notion I had. You can take that sentence alone in my home. It rhymes. It has the same syllables. It has a couple of different meanings, and anybody can relate to it. Some people are happy with that. Thank God everyone's going. Peace and quiet. 
for myself. Other people say that that's my biggest fear, so it can have a double meaning. This one has some transparently personal lyrics. Yeah. I built my own home so nobody can touch me now. Like, that's Third Man Records. Like, that's, that's what he did. Right. Right? Yeah, that's definitely right, yes. Yeah. That brings us to the next track. Now, it depends on what you're listening to. If you're listening to the digital version, the next track is different than this one, but I'm going to go by the vinyl running order, and the next track here is that Black Bat Licorice. so excited to hear ryan's thoughts on this song because i love this song (laughs) i really like it a lot and i like that avuncular line and i like when he says when i need to know i play dumb like columbo (laughs) (laughs) and head to new york like i'm dumbo like yeah oh the pun of dumbo and dumbo brooklyn oh it's so good the triple meanings as he puts it the triple entendres or however many he fits in there and i like a lot of the guitar riffs and is this a reggae? Is this a, like a raga feel? Kind of. To some parts of it? The rap really kind of comes through on this one, or at least the rap influence on this. His wordplay on this is excellent. It has single-handedly allowed me and Paul to both pass the SATs, I'm sure of it, because uh, <laughs> he has the, the words histrionic and uh, and avuncular in it, which like is- Like an uncle. Yeah. Histrionic is like hysterical- but it makes my fingers histrionic. It's like his fingers are moving too fast. I'm like, oh, man. You can't see me. funny. I love this. Jack told jam music. That's basically just a hip-hop song. I wasn't going for it, but I found myself in the middle of it. I think I've done that a lot in my career, and people haven't noticed. Icky Thump is a hip-hop track. Yeah, definitely. Freedom at 21 on the last album was a hip-hop track, but I don't think anybody really categorized it as that. This is a, a combo, another combo track with some buzzards, some peacocks, and... Patrick Keeler of the Tours on drums. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty cool. This song is basically a sequel to Lazaretto, like the yeah. song Lazaretto. And it you can see so even in the lyrics, I fantasize about the hospital, the army, a silo, confinement, in prison, any place where there's time to clear my vision. It's basically the same message he's going through here. Yeah. yeah. It is the same message. I love it when Olivia Jean and Ruby Amanfu come in as the sort of weird angels on his shoulder, the behave yourself. Like, I love that little, it's yeah. so silly, It's but it's like rock and roll silly, like it's fun rock and roll kind of silly. Yeah. I could go on forever about these stupid lyrics. Though. I really like black licorice too. I know it's I not do a too. popular thing. Tastes good. I mean, me and Paul, our celebratory drink of choice is uh, Sambuca, which is- Sambuca, okay. Which is just very, it's just black licorice. In Basically. It's clear black licorice liquid, yes. Yeah. Man, when I drink it, I want to cut out my tongue and let you hold on to it for me. Because <laughs> without my skull to amplify my sounds, it might get boring. Holy shit, Jack White, what is up? It's the best. Yeah. Yes. We have this little group of lines here, which are my favorite. We have, she's built for speed like a black castrum Dolores, good for the needy like Nietzsche, Freud, and Horace, but I'm skin flint broke making no money making jokes, but baby, I won't joke with you. 
My feet are burning like a Roman hypocost. Cost. But the Romans wow. are gone. They changed their name because they lost. She writes letters like a Jack Chick comic. Just a bunch of propaganda makes my fingers histrionic like this. For those of you all who are not in the know, Jack Chick is a fucking psychopath, and his comics are all propaganda, but it is it is important cartooning history uh, because he wrote these things called tracts, and he put them in churches for kids to be scared of going to hell. And, uh, like, it's so bizarre to me that... It's it's both bizarre to me that it's in a song, and it is so <laughs> right that, is in, that it is in a Jack White song. Right, yeah. This is what I expected at the beginning of this podcast, this type of thing right here. (laughs) Oh, man, this song gets me uh, amped on so many levels. I love this so much. My favorite story about this, I think I've told it on the podcast before, but I was at a dinner in South Carolina, no, North Carolina, the week or two after this album came out. And it was a dinner, it was a work dinner, and it was a bu- I was hosting all of these different artists, yeah. and I dropped the word avuncular in a sentence. <laughs> of course you did. I was listening to this so much, and one guy, one of the artists at the table went, oh, like in Lazaretto, and I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody remembered the line... <laughs> the the usage of the word and called it out from that black bat licorice again the album had been out for maybe two weeks but i remember that very distinctly because i had not given it its credit as to where i found it out in the um in the course of the conversation this one is another very boarding house reachy kind of thing i think ice station zebra is very much son of this and this is kind of son of store-bought bones on the rack and tours you know you can draw a pretty mm-hmm. neat line but this is that kind of rappy, kind of bouncy thing. And it is a real candy black bat licorice, like a, an old-timey licorice brand. These two things, in licorice candy, eaten over time, are probably what caused these complications. There is a music video for this one. It's a three-in-one interactive video that features a live-action clip directed by Jack himself, and then there's an animated version of himself helmed by James Blogden, and a headbang edition shot by Brad Holland, viewers can switch and toggle between the three visuals by holding down either the three or the B keys on their keyboard when they watch it. Wow. Uh, so that's kind of funky. That brings us to another track I don't really care for, <laughs> Entitlement. But you're entitled to your opinions. There are children today who lie to Told the world is rightfully there can have what they want whenever they want they take like caesar and nobody cares they live like caesar and nobody cares i can't bring myself to take without penance or atonement or sweat from my brow though the world may be spoiled and getting worse every day they feel like they cheated somehow I feel like I've been cheating somehow We were listening to this earlier and Annabelle actually had said to me she said I want to hear Paul's take on this because what he's singing a song about people being entitled but in a way he actually is acting entitled I think this one is in an age just before we started talking about what privilege is and 
I get where he's coming from, and I don't doubt that he believes it. And I don't want to disrespect the point of view at all. Yeah. And I don't mean to take away any of the hard work side of it. I don't mean to take away any of the struggle. To me, this song reads like punching down. It reads like, right. you know, looking down on people. Like, people can be happy. And if, if, if Instagramming makes you happy, why not chase the blue? Like what Dennis Leary said, like, eat the fucking cookie. Like, smoke the cigarette and eat the cookie. Like, that, just do it. Like, do it. You have to right. be happy at a certain point. And I don't think he really felt like he was writing this from his point of view, but his point of view is certainly in it. You know, he said that this is meant to be a dialogue between two people, and then he didn't do it as a duet, and then it all kind of came across as like a soapbox. And I think he was very aware that people thought of that as, you know, as this is his Get Off My Lawn song. Right. I wrote this song, and uh, uh, I was played it for a couple of friends, and uh, I think I played it for uh, uh, Jack Lawrence, who's a musician friend of mine, and he's like, oh, he had listened to it, said, hell yeah, play it again, please play it again, and played it for him again, and he really loved it, and... Uh, I played it for uh, some other people. I, I like to play it for children, uh, uh, you know, like around, like if, you, and if, if, a, ch- if a child likes it, it's usually a, something's good, in it. even if they don't understand the words, you know, they, they can feel the groove of it or something like that. Everyone seemed to really like this. And then I released it to the rest of the world. And I don't think people understood it. <laughs> people thought uh, this song was some had to do something with me being the singer, you know. I think that's the big problem when you're a songwriter. Uh, uh, people think the word I in the song means you, the singer. Uh, there was a long time ago where I did not mean you were the singer. It just meant you were the person telling the story. In the, in, you, know, you were taking the place of that character. Uh, you know, I, I would sometimes write a song where I'd say, oh, she, she did this to me in this song as the singer. The singer says, she did this to me. And then I would be called a misogynist. If I said, uh, he did this to me, I'm a misanthrope. <laughs> but if I said, I don't like what you're doing, then um, it's an old man telling you to get off his front lawn or something like that. <laughs> uh, that's what people took this song with me. But I think it means something different. I wanted to get a girl to sing the choruses instead of me, so it was a different than a male voice, but it didn't work out. So I just sang the whole thing myself. But it's actually two people talking to each other. Uh, see what you think of it. I don't know. I also don't blame him for feeling the way he feels because that's also valid. You know, I don't invalidate his feelings on it. I just don't subscribe to it personally. You talked about Ice Station Zebra, which I think pulls a lot from entitlement because this is Jack's ongoing efforts to calm the critics. He's constantly being told that he's too out there and he's too zany and wild. And his third man Twitter is constantly like in the past was full of stop making Jack Black, Jack Gray jokes with me. Stop doing all of the same things. I get it. I look a little like Johnny Depp. Cool. Whatever. You're very original. And that kind of goes to Jack White's sense of dry sense of humor is like, like, yeah, cool. We we get it. You're done. Like, whatever. You're, what you're saying is played. And I, this song feels to me like him responding to critics for a lot of his musical stylings and a lot of his experiments and you know this what is this but another experiment and he even mentions in interviews that the the ultra lp that he's doing he's like i don't care what people say if they say it's gimmicky or whatever we're just putting it out to put it out and i'm gonna be proud of it no matter what and he's saying like you know you didn't put in the work 
for the music, how dare you tell me that it's reminiscent or how dare you tell me that it's not good enough or whatever. And I, from an artist's standpoint, I get that. Like from a cartoonist's standpoint, an illustrator standpoint, you know, two professions that have struggled to become at least respected as an art form, it is very difficult to articulate that to people who are on the outside or even modern art for that matter, which is a lot easier and, uh, you know, a lot more accessible to, to other people. You know, if you go to the MoMA, someone will go, well, I can do that. But it's like, you didn't do that. You didn't put in the work. You didn't take the time. You, you, you're, you know, Picasso learned how to paint beautifully uh, and render a, a perfect human form before he was able to deconstruct it. And so I think this kind of lends itself to that. Uh, and you know, Jack White is an angry man <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Fair to say. And I think this that this is you know a a dry way of saying like, stop it. Right, Ryan. Where do you come down on this one? <laughs> there are better songs in the album. I hear everything you're saying. I agree a lot of with what you're saying. But it's like when you have a song as good as. You know, like the black bat licorice or something like Alone in My Home or Just One Drink or even, I mean, clearly Lazaretto is one of his high streaming songs. I don't want to disrespect your guy. This could have been an EP, I think. I think he could have shaved a couple of songs off yeah. and he could have had a, a maybe, a, or not an EP, but like a nine track album, the old Billy Joel move. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. In fact, I was thinking about this. I was on a run this morning. I was thinking about what I would take off. I would take off Entitlement, and I would take off Would You Fight For My Love, and I would put... He did an Elvis cover with his band, uh, Power My Love, which is excellent. It's really good. I would have put that, that on here. Cool. Kind of rock the back end of it a bit. Break it! Burn it! Drag it all around! Twist it! Turn it! You cannot! I'm going to read an interesting fact I found, which I think is a rag and bone. (gasps) Ryan, you don't know what a rag and bone is, but I'm wearing the shirt, rag and bone, here. Dragon boner? A rag and... (laughs) James, do you want to tell the people what a rag and bone is? Yeah, I'd love to tell Ryan what a rag and bone is. Um, <laughs> tell the Ryan people what a rag and bone is. Can't wait to hear about it. Oh, there's bad Jack. Rag and bone! Rag and bone! Rag and bone! <laughs> this is the segment of the show where we find a, a a weird fact and put it in our weird, dumb podcast. It's, <laughs> basically, it's something out like that has... It can have nothing to do with the show. We just found it, or it could have right. very tenuous roots. Anyway, it's a weird thing. This rag and bone is, uh, Jack talked about this song at length with Paul Simon. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let that sink in for a minute. Sir Paul Simon. The one he went, the one he went to the baseball game with? with what did uh, John Lennon call him? The singing midget? Or is it the door? Jack said, I talked at length with Paul Simon about this song, trying to figure out what he was getting from it, what he thought was powerful and didn't. It's interesting when you write songs and you can talk to another songwriter and get their take on it. Everyone will attack it in different ways, you know? He just comes from a school of sneak the medicine in with the mashed potatoes. 
which I've done a lot. It's true. Is that Nicholson or Simon? That was sort of Paul, my terrible Paul Simon shit. So he says, and I think that's... Adam Sandler, uh, sorry. Thank you. That's just what I wanted to uh, do here was force the medicine down someone's throat a little bit. And that's a more dangerous place to be. Because, yeah, you can be called a curmudgeon or whatever. There's no doubt when you take that kind of a chance. Dylan has always been very good at not saying it very often, but letting you make it yourself. But that's okay. Um, eh, you know, again, I, I like some of the lines. I like some of the, the music on here, but it's not... Ultimately, I think it hasn't aged well, and I'm not sure it actually was great at the time either. I like the message. I don't really care for the song. So we're going to breeze through these last two here because there's not a lot on the back end, but we got it's true. the second to last track. I think I found the culprit. This is a Peacock's tune, so this is the ladies on here. And, uh, I, you know, I, I always forget that I like this song. It's kind of forgettable, but it's, it's cool. There's not really a lot in the tune. I think this is one of the ones that you could surmise was mostly an instrumental, and he slapped some lyrics on from something he found in, on a piece of paper. This album is so strong, and then the tail end is just kind of bleh to us, I think. Yeah. Birds of a feather may lay together, but the uglier one is always under the gun. Meaning, so if you're in a relationship and you're the ugly one in the relationship, you got to try harder or work harder. Yeah. Is that the implication? I think so. That's a, that's an ugly, that's an ugly thought. It is an ugly thought. Wild. Yeah. I've never heard something like that in a song before. Yeah. That's the, the only quote I pulled from it. Actually, Ryan, you and I, once again, are, um, are in sync. I think James, this one is kind of. Why Walk a Dog is kind of son of this in some ways. Yeah, I would say this is superior to that, but... Uh, 40 ounce reach. Yeah. I don't have a lot on here. It's fine. Yeah, I didn't have a lot either, but I do like the next one. Ooh, Want and Able. This is just Jack. He's on vocals, acoustic, uh, guitar, and piano. Uh, Jack told NPR, I wrote this with two characters in mind, almost like they would be names like Poncho and Lefty. Juan and Abel, but want and Abel. But by the time I got it finished, I felt like I should go and approach a gay rights organization or something. It feels like something that could be used for a theme for an idea about fighting against something else. And these two characters are talking to each other and they don't, they aren't able to do what they naturally want to do or need to do. Outside forces are not allowing it. So these two characters are telling each other how they either have the chance to fight it or that they are unable to fight. It's fine. Yeah, I like it okay. I liked the, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's two jacks and they're hard panned. Yeah. Meaning all of the audio is in the left channel 
for one take. And I believe that's him doing the lower vocal and the piano. And then the right is the guitar and the high vocal. And so you could, you know, if you have headphones and you could take one out and just hear the one performance or hear the other performance. And I found that to be fascinating. That's, but that's another one of the locked groove. He's playing with music technology there, right? which I really appreciate when people do that. People don't really do that anymore. How, you know, there's that famous story where McCartney would be talking about, oh, I would be at a party and our Beatles album would be on and I'd be by the speaker and be like, oh, you know, wait, check this part out right here. And then it wasn't in that channel, (laughs) the guitar solo. And so there was nothing. (laughs) And it'd be on the other side of the room. And uh, yeah, I guess it would make sense why Jack is part of the classic rock guard because he uses all the old tropes and patterns that they invented, basically. Nobody's playing like that anymore. Yeah, and he's trying to play in that space for sure. Is it a good song? (laughs) I like the exercise. Yeah, I like the exercise too. I'm not mad about it, but I I, I find it fine. You know, I mean, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think lyrically it's interesting. I think technologically, yeah, it's it's interesting. The last three tracks of this song, it seems like he kind of sputters to a halt. It doesn't end on a bang, which I kind of wanted it to. I wanted, yeah. uh, you know, Jack White does things in threes, and I wish there was a Lazaretto, Black Bat Licorice, and then something else right. to, to kind of end it. But that's okay. It hasn't soured my taste on this album at all. It just it definitely makes for a uh, a B side that I I listen to half of more than the other half. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that brings us to the end. Uh, the record there's another lock groove with crows that are from an old hunting record that Jack found one time. Um, but uh, you know, I feel like you know this is uh, this was a lot of fun going through it, Ryan. I I appreciate your point of view and thanks for coming on this weird weird journey. It was a lot of fun, and now I have to listen to some other. Jack White record I, to knowing that the one after this is even more insane than this makes me want to check that out but I got to check out Blunderbuss because apparently that one's really good proceed with caution on the one after this <laughs> it's weird know that it is yeah know that it is experimental in wild ways there's some songs on that that aren't even songs uh, they're just <laughs> one of them's just a guy talking in fanciful terms about wanting tea and uh, it's 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 yeah. a weird one. Jack White doesn't even un- appear on that one. It's it's weird. <laughs> wow, wild uh, on a solo album, you say? Yes. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us on Now Hear This. Uh, it was great having you on the show. It's been an honor. It really has. I I wasn't serious at first, and now I am. It's I feel honored. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, seriously, uh, this this show's great. Keep it up, guys. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to go fold my laundry and avoid my wife. <laughs> Good plan. All right. We'll, Smart plan. We'll see. Hey, next time, Ryan, is going to be, we got a special one next time. I can't even believe we're going to do Should this. we tease the people or should we just let tease it? Tease it. Tease it a little bit. Yeah. I'm already teased. James is titillated. <laughs> my nipples are hard. <laughs> Let's just, so there is one album from an artist i really like that you can probably guess who it is that's not really an album that i never addressed on another podcast and i i've talked everyone into doing it and that's all i'll say will there be any plickety plonking 
oh well you know we, we picked up you know we took a lot of the tracks that you know they didn't make the other albums and you know we pulled yeah there'll be a lot of plunking for sure <laughs> listen enjoy every sandwich that's a clue too join every sandwich everyone actually hey why doesn't that why don't we make that the sign off yeah enjoy every sandwich zivon we found it we've been looking for a sign off Enjoy every sandwich. That's a good one. Enjoy every sandwich. It's really good. James, enjoy every sandwich. There's a lot I enjoy don't every- like, though, and that's it's really just ca- causing me. This sign-off is causing me a lot of agita, guys. All right, that's it. I'm taking this condom <laughs> off. <laughs> that's it. I'm putting another one on. All right. Bye, everyone Bye. on your respective Bye. podcasts. <laughs> an opinion about the album we discussed today contact us at at now here this podcast on instagram at now here this pod on twitter facebook.com slash now hear this podcast or email us at now hear this official at gmail.com see you next time okay yeah makes sense to me should i not be wearing a condom either <laughs> I didn't realize it was in. <laughs> I just wear one at all times. I don't know. James yeah. is very, very cautious, man. <laughs> it's like a naked gun where they both have those full body condoms. <laughs> I practice safe sex. Oh, man. Okay. Um... Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right. ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, ACAST, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an ACAST supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. It's okay. All right, well, bye then. <laughs>